Our guest today comes to us courtesy of our friends at Podmatch. Podmatch automatically matches ideal podcast hosts and guests for interviews. We recently signed up for Podmatch and we've had instant success in matching with guests for our show, including today's guest. Check out the Podmatch link in our show notes or here on the show page to learn more. In 2015, Scott McDermott woke up in a hospital bed after a devastating bike crash during the Ultraman World Championships. He had been unconscious for three days, and the fact that he was still alive was nothing short of a miracle. Scott joins the podcast to talk about his journey, which includes a fat-to-fit story and how he battled back from that near-death experience to race again. This is Pick Up the Six Podcast. Scott McDermott, what's up, my man? Good to see you and hear from you. Hey, Brian. Good to see you, man. Good to be here. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to have this conversation, get to know you. It's Podmatch who brought us together. So thanks to our friends over there yeah. for uh, making this, uh, what I'm calling this digital podcasting sort of a dating app <laughs> for totally is. to get together. It's good stuff. Yeah. yeah it's pretty it's good awesome. Stuff. I've met some really cool people through it. It's pretty fun. Yeah, me too. It's awesome. I mean, it's great. You think about it, there's all these great people out there and yeah, you work the network, right? And you get friends through Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and get a lot of uh, shows that come about that way or somebody, hey, I heard this person on your show. You should have this person. But man, the pod match thing has been pretty cool. So I'm just grateful to those guys for providing the platform for us to get in there and and find people that we think we might vibe with and then uh, see if we can make podcast magic, which is what we're going to exactly. do today. Yeah, yeah, totally. So listen, man, fat to fit. We're going to talk about your whole journey and you've been on it for 20 years, do a lot of work in coaching and nutrition. You've done some really cool physical fitness events some Ultramans, which are basically two and a half times the length of an Ironman. But how fat are we talking about here? What was this journey like? <laughs> well, you know, I spent 13 years in architecture sitting at a desk and when I was going through high school and you know, like, whoa, what am I going to do with my life? All my teachers were like, you should go into drafting and architecture. I was like, okay, well, I don't know. Well, <laughs> sure. Sure. You know, you're 17. What do I know? So I went into that and I sat at a desk for 13 years and I got fat and sick and stressed and broken. And I was just a disaster. And I was, you know, up to around 240 odd pounds and no muscle mass. just miserable. Like I love to ski, but I would save all year to go skiing. I make one run, my quads are on fire and I go sit in, in the chalet for half an hour and recover from one mm -hmm. run. And it just, it sucked. I was, I said all kinds of, everything was falling apart and uh, kept going to specialists and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had allergies and ringing in my ears and I broke my back in high school in a gymnastics accident. So I had sore back and I, everything hurt all the time. I would shovel the driveway and I'd have to have painkillers and be ice packs mm. on the couch for half an hour. And I was like, this sucks. I mean, I'm 29, but I feel like I'm 70. Like this is crap. There's gotta and be a better way. There's gotta be a better way. And I went to my doctor and kind of just, cause he had prescribed this, what I call the little blue pill, which turns out, according to my mother-in-law, who's a retired physiotherapist, was an antidepressant normally given to schizophrenics and paranoid, paranoid people with delusional disorders when they can't sleep. And I was like, I, I'm not taking that. I, this, I'm not getting into brain chemistry now. This, this is, come on. And the doctor's like, all right, well, we'll do a physical. And he started to ask me questions. Do you work out? I don't have time to work out. Well, you're under stress. Yeah, I'm trying to make junior partner in the firm. Well, how many hours a week you working? Oh, like 80 to 100 or more. Oh, well, how much sleep do that you get? Oh, five or six hours. Mm. Um, we drinking coffee. I hate coffee. I take caffeine pills. Uh, you know, like it was just, it was a nightmare on a night. Well, do you eat well? I don't know. I eat food. I like sugar with my sugar and dessert with dessert twice if I can get it. And, you know, I try to eat low fat because we, 
we had no idea back then that real fat was stupid, but anyway, so I was a mess and he's like, kid, you got to eat right exercise, de-stress. You're not going to make it to 30. So I went from the doctor's appointment to a gym and I toured a couple of gyms. I picked one. I bought a three-year membership and the lady gave me a video cassette. This is how long ago it was a video yeah, a cassette, date, little VHS, right? Uh, it's late nineties of body of work, which is Bill Phillips first 12 week challenge. Okay. And I watched it. I sat home and I bawled. I was like, all right, my life's done. I'm, I'm never going to be the same again. I went upstairs. I threw out all my food. I went shopping. I called a friend who knew stuff about fitness things. And I started asking him questions. I got into the gym. Five months later, I had dropped 40 pounds of fat, put on 18 pounds of muscle. I got a six pack. I was like, oh, I like this better. <laughs> yeah. Where'd you, Scott, where'd you grow up? Where's all this happening? Oh, uh, it's in Canada. So um, Alberta, Canada, just north of Calgary, just above Montana, a few hours. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of cold turkey this bad boy. You're like, that's right. it. Moving yeah. on. Yeah. I drew a line in the sand. It was like, I'm done. Yeah. And I'm kind of that guy. <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. something's broken. All right. I'm done with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 What kind of stuff were you doing in that, in that initial, in those initial 12 weeks? What did it look like? You know, the big thing was getting in enough quality protein, good fats, great carbs, I honestly, come, coming back to balance and eating clean, real foods. And of course it was Bill Phillips EAS program. So I was taking myoplex shakes, which mm -hmm. they're not my favorite ingredient list anymore, but uh, sure. whatever. But still uh, right for the time, you got to think about too, the time, right? There was still a lot of things you didn't know about whole fats and, you know, all the different things you could get into your diet. Now that at the time, like this is a pretty good option, especially oh. based on where you're coming from. Yeah. And if you realize that back in the late nineties, most protein powders tasted like somebody kicked over a hay bale and scooped the dirt from underneath it. You know, like yeah. the fact that it was good tasting protein powder was a miracle back then. Yeah. We're lazy now. It's all good. So you're this young architect that basically flips the switch on your personal life. That's got to have an impact on kind of the direction for the rest of your life. So what, unfolds, what unfolds from there? Well, it was funny because at first everybody in the office didn't believe, oh yeah, sugar face is going to go on a diet. Pfft, right. I give it a day. Nobody believed I was going to do it. But after a month or so, people were like sliding up to the office going, so uh, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? You look great. <laughs> and pretty soon within about three months, everybody in the office, almost everybody in the office, 50 people was on the plan. And all of a sudden I'm coaching people on how to be fit and healthy. And people are asking me nutrition questions instead of architecture questions. And I just got the juice from it, man. Yeah. I was like, I love this. And then I got certified as a trainer. I started working in the gym part-time <clears throat> and um, I, I got to the point where I was like, man, I really love doing this. And I went to a personal development course, like a Tony Robbins kind of thing where you yeah. walk on fire and do all kinds oh, of things. I've been, I've been to unleash the power within. Yeah. I've been right? on them coals, babe. Yeah, I totally, I totally did a firewalk and everything. Yeah, and I was like, awesome. man, this, I'm not wasting my life anymore. And I walked into my office and I slammed down my resume, my resignation. I said, sorry, coach, I'm leaving. And I, I apologized to my boss, but he understood. And I was like, I'm at the top of the ladder on the wrong building. I got to go. Yeah. I, I got to, I got to go be a trainer and team, team I, cool Moss. Yeah. Right. So, That's yeah. Cool. So I, I left and Worked in a gym part-time. I did contract architecture for a while because couldn't pay the bills as a trainer, but I realized the smart way to go was to run my own business. So I mm -hmm. built a brand new gym from scratch. We built a 15,000 square foot gym on a blank acreage out in the left side of town and just started, started chasing that dream. What's the journey look like to go just from beyond, right? Gym fit, functional, get yourself back in shape to looking to compete in some pretty intense 
triathlon events. So what's that journey look like for you? You know, I, I heard about a half Ironman triathlon in our town and I kind of thought, geez, I wonder if I could finish one of those. Like mm, yeah. I can, I could not drown for periods of time. <laughs> I couldn't swim lengths and I'd sure. never like, I mean, you fall off water skiing and you, you could tread water for a second until they come and get you, but I'd never swam anywhere. I could ride that crap out of a spin bike for an hour. Cause I was an instructor and I used to run in high school before I broke my back, but it was healed. And since I got back in shape, my back wasn't bugging me anymore because my abs were strong. My core was strong. I said, like, I wonder if I could finish one of these. So I hired a coach because that's what smart people do. You hire somebody who knows what they're doing yep. to teach, right? Rather than stumbling around blind. And I did my first sprint triathlon. I was like top 12 or something. And then I did a, a, an Olympic distance and I was in the top 20% out of six or 700 athletes in the big city. And then I did the half Ironman. It was eighth in my age group. And I got a roll down spot for Ironman five weeks later. I went to Ironman Canada, did a sub 12 hour Ironman, my first crack, my first marathon. I just was hooked. Your first marathon was Ever. at the end of doing your first Ironman. Yep. yep. So you, you just kind of, you, you, you had a natural, I mean, you had to work your tail off. Don't get me wrong. Right. You had to train, you had to work, but it seemed like it, it just kind of clicked for you. To a degree. So I don't, I'm genetically, I don't look like a triathlete. I have I have big muscular legs, short legs, and a long back. Hmm. I, and people are like, who brought the rugby player? Like <laughs> when I like when I told the line at the world championships, there's like all the guys, it's like 140 pounds, 160 pounds, 160 pounds, 150 pounds, 140 pounds, 200. The hell are you doing here? But the gift I have, which is odd, is um for better or worse, I had a challenging childhood. I, I love my parents no strike against them. They were both alcoholics. There were some things and I, you know, there was bullies. I, and I, I, I learned to run running away from the bullies to get home from school or get home from the movie theater after enduring 90 minutes of people throwing popcorn at my head. I ran home hard for 5k. And so I just, I just kind of was used to suffering. And so when I, when I got to, to triathlon, it was like applied suffering and sure. I just was like, when things got really, really hard, I didn't quit. I just, I, I just don't quit. And I realized that all the trials and tribulations of childhood became an asset. And I train hard, like I'm ignorant in my training and it yields pretty cool result. Tell us about that first experience at the world championships. How'd that set you up? How, 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 how'd all that go down? So yeah, that's a bit of a journey too. So I went to Ironman Canada, which was great. And then um, now we have to fast forward seven Ironmans later and being on Team Canada for the World Championships for the International Triathlon Union for the ITU. So it's a different brand than Ironman. Um, so we could talk about that first World Championship. Sure, let's do talk it. About Ultraman, yeah. Yeah, start there. So yeah, my first um, Team Canada World Championships was in Holland and a big education, right? Like you're in the big school now and everybody's got... Team These Italian. guys are serious, man. Yeah, yeah, like Team USA strutting it up and Team Italy mm -hmm. and Team Great Britain and Team Australia. And you're like, holy crap, these guys are real. And um, it was it was crazy. So we're in Holland in this place called Amir. Um, and Amir, we're swimming in like, it looks like somebody filled the ocean with transparent glowing peas, like little algae beads. And the water like glowed green, whatever. And we, we were swimming a diet, like a triangle. We're supposed to do a beach run and then another triangle and then continue on. And at night after they'd placed the buoys, the tide had pulled the buoys out. 
So it's supposed to be a 4K swim and ended up being a 5K swim. So mm-hmm. it was brutally hard. Like, yeah. of, you know, 2.5 miles, it was like 3.2 miles. Like, what the hell? So, yeah, which by the way, in a swimming distance is a large amount of territory to have to make up. Yeah. And in open ocean, you can't, there's nothing to look at. It's not like there's a lane at the bottom. You follow the line. It's like just green soup. So it was nuts. Um, and of course, we didn't know the swim course as long. You're looking at your watch going, okay, I should have been done by now. Well, I really suck today. Come on. And you say, yeah. just try harder and try harder and try harder. Get out on the bike. It's not because we didn't have GPS watches back then. So you start talking to their athletes as you're passing them on the bike and you realize, okay, everybody's swim was 30 minutes long. Yeah. Okay. It's not just me, but then you get out and you hammer the bike and then the temperature's getting up. Now it's in the hundreds. And, um, you know, I had pushed way too hard on the swim cause I had psyched myself out thinking I wasn't swimming fast enough. So I crushed the water, which you shouldn't do. So I burned all my matches on the water. Yeah. I burnt the rest of them on the bike, 120 K bike. Right. So whatever, um, I don't know what that is in, in, in miles, but 90 odd miles or something or not quite 80 something miles. So mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I got to the run and it was, so the ITU distance are odd distances. It's a 30 K run. So it's like a 25 ish K run, uh, mile, let's see, 26 is a marathon. So it would be about 20 mile run, something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I just melted, you know, there was walking and stuff and it was very, very humbling. I finished the race and swore I'd never do a long, never, never do it. I remember laying in the med tent because I got super dehydrated and threw up a lot of stuff. And I was laying there and I told my wife, I said, yeah, I'm done with long course stuff. I'm never mm. doing a long event again. And then, and then about a year later, I was doing another Ironman. I was going to say, what brought you back? And then I signed up because for Ultraman. In yeah, it's just yeah. in there. You can't, yeah. it's not negotiable. Hey, what was it like being able to go out there and compete with that Canadian flag on your uniform for the first time? Oh man, it's unreal. It's, yeah. it's good and bad. It's good because so much pride and so much, but bad because so much pressure. Mm. Like I put so much pressure on myself to perform. I went to the world championships the next year in Australia and uh, was having a solid race, but got um, disoriented in the heat. And it was uh, a four lap bike course on the freeway and a four lap complicated run course with all kinds of twists and turns. And I lost count. And I, I ended one lap early on the run and was disqualified. I was oh. devastated. I was crushed crushed i would not talk to anybody i walked like six miles with my bike to the train station instead of taking a, a ride or whatever in my like i just i was just crushed that's the headspace you're in after that i was i was like i let my whole friggin' country down which is not true but that's how i felt yeah so that was tough man when did you do your first ultraman i was training for ironman canada in 2010 and i was having lunch with some friends and uh one of the guys, Nick Mallet from Australia, who had won Ultraman Canada before, was just like, "Bye, right, you got to give Ultraman a try." And I was like, "Shut up, those guys are nuts." <laughs> and uh, he just started to break it down for me. And he's like, "You know, it's a 10k swim, six miles, and you're a good swimmer. Once you get into the zone, if a kayak followed you and fed you, you could swim a long time." And I was like, "Okay." He's the first bike's only 90 miles, 145k. That's no problem for you. You're a good cyclist. I said, "Okay, yeah," but the day two bike's long. It's like uh, 150 miles. Something it's 275 K is it 100 175 miles. Yeah. So how's bike. it all break out? What do you mean? Day one, day two. I'm just not familiar hmm. with the structure of how that whole event plays out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Ultraman's different than Ironman. Ironman's a one day event. Okay. Yep. Knock it out. Right. Big swim. 
Yeah. Century ride marathon yep. run, essentially. That's right. Yeah. 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike and a 26 K mile, uh, 26 mile marathon. Oof. Yeah. So that's a day one event. So Ultraman is a two day event. So day one, you swim 10 K six miles and you bike 90 odd miles. And then day two, you bike, I think it's, it's 170 miles, whatever 276 K belongs to. I, I'd have to do the mm-hmm. math on that, but, um, and then day three is a double marathon, 52.4 miles. So Whoa. you got two days to get tired and then well, you only have to swim once. I mean, that's uh, nice. yeah, right. I know that's Holy my favorite cow that I'd only have to swim once. I got to track on one of those and just watch one. That sounds insane. Yeah. Do you know what? Oh, but he no. started breaking it down for you. Right. And he's like, well, if you do it this way, then, so now your brain's like, oh, well, this is actually a doable thing. Yeah. Cause I thought, okay, you got 12 hours each day to finish. I can do, mm-hmm. I can do the bike in nine to 10 hours on day two. And then I remember saying to him, yeah, but Nick, a double marathon, like, come on, give me a break. Bro. Marathon's hard, buddy. And day three, you're going to be already beat up. An, an ultra marathon by itself. Anything checking over 30 is going to be totally. But on day three, after you just rode the bike all day after, you know, mm-hmm. and he's, yeah, but think about it. He says, you can run a 328 marathon. Well, what if you run a slow four hour marathon? Take a half hour break, change your socks, put on a fresh pair of shoes and just go do it again. He's like, you could damn near walk a marathon in seven and a half hours. And I was like, <gasps> you're right. And I signed up the next week and I started it, training I, for ultra. I got to tell you, Scott, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but what did you learn just about physically how much you can take in? Cause when I, you know, when we watch folks like the Courtney Dewalters or Chad Wright's a guy that I'm a big fan of that does this mid-state mile. It's one of those, you know, just last men standing events, or even my buddy, John Fry locally, who every year he does multiple hundos, but he also hosts a 24 hour endurance run for a charity. And he's clipping over a hundred for that. And guys go out there for the longest time ever. And that have never run more than 20 miles and they'll run 60 or 70 with them because you can, because most of the time you can. Yeah. You know what? That's sort of the dirty secret, isn't it? It is. You can. People have no friggin' idea how absolutely phenomenal the human body is. Yeah. It is capable of so much more than we give it credit for. So much more. And it's, yeah, you got to do the time. You got to train, right? And, and that's a piece of it. Sure. But, you know, if you ever listen to David Goggins' book, uh, Can't Hurt Me, like, oh yeah. my God. Like he, yeah. went, he went stone cold nothing and did a hundred miler on friggin' tennis shoes and, and myoplex shakes and a freaking box of crackers. Now he did like, poop no idea. Few, he shit himself huh? a few times. So you gotta be oh, willing to potentially He was do that. bleeding from his urine. Like, I mean, come on, Crazy, he, he ruined things you shouldn't ruin, but you can yeah, do yeah. it. He can do it. Yeah. It's possible. Maybe not the smartest way to do it. I love but. that Goggin story where he's living with that guy, right. For uh, living with the seal. And basically the guy's like asleep in the middle of the night and Goggin's just sitting there in the chair, staring at him. Wake up. <laughs> Let's go train. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's amazing. He's a freak. But I think that's the thing. People have no idea how crazy amazing the human body is. And if yeah. you'll just give it a chance, like, you know, I coach athletes and, and people for nutrition and stuff all the time. And I always say like, listen, your body loves you. People are, I hate my stupid knees. I hate my stupid back. Like, shut up. Your body loves you. You have no idea what your body is doing on a daily basis to keep you going. And you know what you're doing? You're feeding it garbage. Mm. You're shoving crap down your face and your body's going, oh my God. Okay. We don't have any calcium. I really need some iron. Okay. You gave us this. Oh, frick. Okay. You know, I'll process that. Jesus, where are we going to stuff this? I got to hide that. I'm going to have to steal from here and borrow this. I got to deaminate that and pull this together so we can keep going. 
your body's amazing. And if you would feed it good food and exercise a little and drink some water, your body's a miracle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you for, for a few more easy things folks can implement before we do that. You got to tell me about this fateful day in 2015 where, where just things change, right? You're in the middle of your second world championships and you have a devastating crash. Yeah. So yeah, I raced in 2013, had a really good race um, by and large. I mean, I, I went to school. I, I, cause it was the first time at the world championship. Yeah, that was that learning experience was a big learning curve, right? So it's a 10 K six mile open ocean swim. Now we're not mm. in a lake. It's in the ocean. And there's six foot swells and there's wind off the mountains and wind off the, the, the ocean front and it's cross waving. So you're in a washing machine and there's a current against you and it's salt water. So if you get a mouthful, you puke. And so I, you know, the, my first 2013 was an education, but I still did pretty well. I was 21st in the world. And I went back in 2015 with a film crew making a documentary going, you know what? I want to see if I can hit top five. Yeah. I want to. I want to crush this. And I had a great coach and we trained super hard. I had never in my life been more fit. I was bulletproof and ready to go. And we had a phenomenal swim, phenomenal bike. And day two was on the bike course. And I was crushing along. I was in 10th position. I just passed a couple guys and I was going down a little bit of a mountain in the rain. And apparently there was algae on the bridge deck. And I woke up three days later in the brain trauma unit on Oahu in ICU. And I was like, where the hell am I? And how did I get here? And Whoa. yeah, I had been, I was going just over 45 miles an hour. Um, and we know kinetically what happened. My, my front wheel slid to the right because I put my hand down clearly because I sprained my fingers, sprained my wrist, broke my arm in half, shattered my shoulder, busted five ribs. And then I started to flip and I, I busted a big chunk of cartilage out of my right knee. I tore my MCL um, big scrape along the side of my face, which twisted my helmet. Cause I didn't have my strap done tight enough, twisted my helmet. And then as I flipped around at some point, I smashed my skull into the concrete curb and I broke my skull open, exposing my brain. So not cool. Not a great day. Nope. 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 But it could have been worse. Well, listen, I mean, you shouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like, you probably of, shouldn't be here. There's a lot of miracle in that. There is a lot of miracle in that. The fact that you wake up three days later and, and have to start piecing some of that together. Yeah. Uh, it's 2015. I mean, was there video available? Have you seen any of it? Could you even so, watch it if you had to? Yeah, that was wild. So we were filming, we were making a documentary of the journey of this 200 pound guy from Averageville trying to make it in the world championships. Cause we thought it's kind of a cool story and mm -hmm. Ultraman's pretty obscure. Like nobody's heard of it. There's no prize money. There's no TV coverage. There's no, nobody does it. You get a t-shirt and a medal. That's it. It's not. Yeah, but those are usually the best events, aren't they? Well, I think so. It's pure, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not about egos and attention. It's about, hey, I really like this sport enough to really go out and crank after it. So it's pretty, it's pretty different. And so we thought, let's make a film and showcase what a great experience this is and how much it's a team event because your buddies in a van leapfrog you the whole time and they feed you. There's no, there's no aid stations. Mm -hmm. There's a team. And you get to share the experience and it's a Hawaiian word for family. Ohana is huge. And so we wanted to film this thing. And so, yeah, we were filming now. Drew, my filmmaker was behind us when I crashed. And so when he came up to the accident scene, so there's footage of me being loaded onto an ambulance 40 minutes after the crash. And there's a big pool of blood and like that. And he, but he live interviewed a bunch of people and, 
the the film is really powerful. It's um, we won a bunch of awards with it. It's free on YouTube, which is cool. Yeah, it's tell eight. us the name of it, man. Give it a plug. Yeah, it's Living the Warrior Code. So livingthewarriorcode.com. It's free on YouTube. It's family friendly. There's no swearing and stuff. There's, I mean, there's a couple of graphic scenes of me in a hospital and things, yeah. but um, it's it's cool for for everybody to see in that sense. Oh, we'll, we will for sure dial that up, dude. That road to recovery, man. Talking about picking up the six. I mean, just what was that journey like? Who was there to help you throughout the process? Ah, uh, that was you know, Ohana is is big. Like, um, family was everything, and and not only just family you're, you're born to and grew up with, but but all your friends and people, like members of my gym, would pick me up and drive me to work and stuff because I couldn't drive for a while. I like, got a really wicked brain injury. Mm-hmm. I could only stay awake for about an hour and a half um, at a time, and then I'd have to sleep for six to eight hours. And you know, there was all that I could. I was tripping when I walked. I would. I couldn't. I would go to grab a cup and miss. Cause it's not, it's not where I thought it was kind of thing. And, you know, I've got a three-year-old and, and my wife was amazing, but my three-year-old helped put my socks on in the morning. Cause I couldn't, and my wife learned to shave my head and brush my teeth. Like it was, it was a thing for a while. Um, yeah. I did hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments. So you go into a compression chamber, you pressurize to one atmosphere, 33 feet below sea level, and you breathe pure oxygen for an hour. So your brain can heal. And I did that for over a month, five days a week. And, uh, it was a hell of a process to crawl back out of, but, uh, you know, just every little step, every little step. Right. At what point do you look at your family and say, I'm going back, I'm going back to an event. I'm going to lace them up again. I'm going to saddle up again. We're going back. I love, I love my wife for a lot of reasons, but she's never, that's been an interesting journey. She never varied. Like she knew. Like, honestly, within 30 seconds of waking up in the hospital, I was like, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm a little banged up, but I'll be back again. Like there was, that was, that's on video the moment I woke up. Right. And so that's never been at question. I always knew I would come back to racing because I love it so much. And it's a goal. I like to say it's like taking an anchor with a rubber band and you throw it into the future and cling it to yourself and let it pull you to something. Mm. And it, it, it held me on. It, it, it kept me focused every time something else went sideways and my family was great. Now I would say my family, my wife was great. I got to tell you, my extended family was really not happy with me. They thought it was stupid. It was useless. You're being selfish. You're dumb. You could get hurt again, all that. And you know, they're not wrong. There's a risk factor to it. And, and it was interesting to be tuned into that and realize, because I always thought, oh, yeah, you could crash. I could get a couple of cuts and bruises. Big deal. Mm-hmm. I never thought I could die. Right. That never occurred to me. But I mean, that makes sense. I travel at speeds of 40 to 50 miles an hour on the bike. Yeah, that's a possibility. You're wearing a chunk of styrofoam on your head and spandex. Like, you know, it's possible. So yeah. that's that was an interesting journey. Um, some of my family got pretty dark about it and pretty pretty ignorant about it. Um, which I imagine a lot of athletes have to go through when they get into the pointy end of the stick that people aren't going to understand your, your inner drive that it's, it's not an explainable thing. It's like, why does a soldier go to war? Well, it's my obligation to do so. You know, why do I race? Cause I can. And I, I just, I can't explain that drive, you know, but without it, I'm broken. And my wife knows that. Yeah. So it's, it's you doing what you were born to do. I think for those who you were born to serve. So you yeah. being an athlete, right. Is what you were born to do. 
Yeah. And that's how you serve your family. It's how you serve your community. Uh, it's how you built what you've built here. Uh, and, yes. and sometimes you need the naysayers. It's just the way, right? I mean, sometimes yeah. you need that maybe a little bit of adversity. And it sounds like from the early days of your life, you had some of that early, right? Adversity hits again as you're sort of in peak form yeah. and you've got to battle back. But there's some good news in this journey. That oh, gets yeah. you back in the swim, back on the bike, back on the run yeah. and finishing pretty high up. So tell us the good news about how all that ends up shaking out. Yeah. Well, and then just to dovetail the one thing you said, there's, there's good in everything. There's so much good in it. Like it's become yeah, totally, I'm, I'm, I'm a known and better personal trainer because people, they realize I've been through the ringer. Like I'm not talking from, well, I read this in a book. I'm talking because yeah. I learned it. I'm talking because after the crash, I ballooned back up to 237 and now I'm 181. You know, like I know how to drop fat. I know how to be healthy. I know how to recover. So that positions me not only to be a paid keynote speaker, but to be a better coach to, to cause I've got an athlete right now that's going through an injury. And I'm like, listen, we got it. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get you through this. And it's not cause I read it in a book. I know how to get through an injury. So that's all. It is, it's all beneficial. If you make it everything you've got in your life, everything that's happened to you is beneficial. If you look at it that way, what's the average thing we're doing that we think is healthy. That's actually bullshit. Mm. I sprung that on you, but yeah, you know, people think that they have to eat no carb. Mm -hmm. That's just not real. Carbs are fuel. They're a fuel source. Now that doesn't mean be an idiot. You know, you, yeah. well, you have a plate of pasta and it's 1500 calories of pasta. It's about choosing fruits and veggies and, you know, good, but carbs are not the enemy. They're so how do we, how do we reframe our relationship with carbs? Well, realize they're not the enemy. It's about caloric responsibility, right? Donuts are expensive and broccoli is cheap in the, in the sense of calories, right? That's one of the things I tell people I coach. So, so two cups of broccoli, two cups of broccoli is 62 calories, three cups of broccoli. You would never eat three cups of broccoli. Who would do that? Who would it's do 93 such a thing? calories, three cups. You'd be farting for a week. You'd be yeah, so gassed good. up, right? But one donut hole is 90 calories. So you can eat three cups of broccoli or one donut hole. I got to tell you, I've been on a road trip and I've had a 10 pack of donut holes and I reach around the box and it's empty. Oh, I guess I just ate 900 calories. Whoops. Without even thinking about it. You Without blink. even thinking about it. Yeah, so it's yeah. just about being aware of quality carbs versus junk. And I think too, Scott, right? Like you would not expect anybody to trade in those moments where you're going to have a great meal with your family, right? Perfect. And have dessert and have those. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. But it can't be your fuel all the time. Yeah. So once in a while, absolutely. Like life is to be savored and enjoyed and eat all the things. I don't deny myself anything. I have ice cream once in a while and I have eggnog at Christmas and yeah, all the things. But like, I remember days when I didn't have a glass of eggnog. I had a friggin' half a gallon of the stuff. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem, right? Like when you take a, like a full, this is tea, but if you take a full one of eggnog and you're like, your body, you could have been motor oil. Yeah. You didn't even taste it. You just threw it in there. Well, take a little sip and swish it around. You still enjoy eggnog, but have a cup instead of eight gallons. So, right. So that, there you go. A little Plus, if you put bourbon in that big of a thing, you're going to have some issues. You're going to right. stumble. Start walking funny. Hey, so, all right, adjust our, adjust our relationship with carbs, right? And so maybe yeah. there was a, a time where you would think the night before a big race, I'm going to carbo load 
that does your say, Hey, listen, man, that doesn't have to be a big thing of fettuccine. What could you replace that with to be ensure that you're getting positive carbs in to be fueled up for success? Well, first of all, carb loading the night before is ineffective. It needs to be three days in a row, but to build up your glycogen stores and your muscles and your liver so that you're full. Right. Um, and second of all, like things like, like white rice. Now you say, well, wait a minute. I thought brown rice is better. It is. But if you're doing an endurance event, you don't want to have to poop. Brown rice and makes brown's going to give you a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. White rice doesn't. So three days out, it's white rice, white potatoes, right? You, you're carving up in the smart sense, right? You're adding just 20%. Mm. Not, you know, it's not like being in Vegas at a buffet and you're like, ain't going to make any money on me today. <laughs> like it's not that right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. There's an who, intelligent- who doesn't have a good long distance run or any run of that where you got an emergency run to the woods? I mean, it can happen. It happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got to be prepared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Be prepared. We could go to that story. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eh, well, some of those yeah. are just best left for us, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> hey, tell folks where they can find you, man. Um, you know, scottyfit.com is a great place to find me. Um, it's got everything there or living the warrior code. Uh, or warrior code film, I should say, warriorcodefilm.com. So, but scottyfit.com is easy. Everything's there. Love it, man. Dude, I've been thrilled just to get to know you and chat a little bit. It's been super fun. Thanks. Yeah. And you know, I mean, we, we, we don't have a lot of time, but uh, if you check out the film, it talks about getting to 2018 world championships and, and how me and the team put it together. And, and in one of the toughest Ultraman world championships in history, because they had to change the bike course because of the volcanoes. So we had to go up Whoa. and over Saddle Mountain Road, which is halfway up Everest. Um, right. So, Hey, how, how satisfied were you not just for yourself, right. To be able to come back from that, but for mm-hmm. all those other people, yeah, right. For the crew that was there in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that before we go. Unbelievable. And they, you know what, when I crossed that line on day two bike course to finish the bike course, I was surrounded by about 30 people that, and a lot of them had come from Australia and Italy and South America to be at Ultraman that year because they knew I was coming back and they wanted to see me come back because they knew how bad it was because they were there in 15. The hugs, the tears on day two, we didn't even finish Ultraman, but right, like, like Tara Norton who won that year, she had finished the bike ride an hour and a half ago, but she waited to give me a hug. Like it was powerful. We're a family. There's only, there's like 1500 nut cases in the world that have ever done Ultraman. Like it's a small little group of people. And it's a cool community, huh? We're pretty tight. And so it was unbelievable. And I got to tell you, I enjoyed that race like never in history. Cause I, I looked around and I soaked in every moment of the glorious journey that I was privileged enough to race again. And that finish line was just epic, just epic. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel it, man. What athletes are you tracking these days? Who do you like to follow? You know, I'm working so much. I don't have time to track anybody. I track my, my clients that I coach. I can yeah. tell you all about the people that I coach. I know every intimate detail of the people I coach, um, you know, on the periphery, but honestly, I haven't turned on a television in so friggin' long. I just, I'm out of touch. That's so okay. Much. It's probably better that way. Yeah. Right. Well, I refuse to watch the news. No, yeah. thanks. But, nothing, nothing there. Moving on. That's yeah. For sure. I catch a few updates from, from friends around the world about who's doing what. And some of the Ironman's going by, or there's some pretty fast times clocking mm-hmm. guys are hitting sub eight hours consistently. And, you know, but it's on the periphery. I don't, I don't have a lot of time in it to, to, uh, to spend on that. Yep. 
All right, man. It's been great to talk to you. We'll let you go. Uh, we'll do this again sometime. And just great to hear your story, man. Battling through adversity, but find an opportunity to to battle back, guys, and, and to and to test yourself along the way, which I think is important. And to not eat so much bullshit all the time, right? Yeah, right. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. It's been a blast. Absolutely, man. It's been my pleasure. He's Scott McDermott. I'm Brian Jodis. That's been this episode of Pick Up Six Podcast. <laughs>